0: We are studying Psalm 25, and as Josh sang that part of it, the very first kind of part of that psalm, which is part of that song, uh, My Hope is You by Third Day, we're now going to read the entire psalm, Psalm 25, and the words will be here on the screens as well as I read. This is God's Word. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who are they that fear the Lord? He will teach them the way that they should choose. They will abide in prosperity, and their children shall possess the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes His covenant known to them. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress." Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all its troubles." Let's pray. O oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word that we have heard in Psalm 25, and it is relevant for today. Lord, even that last verse, redeem Israel, O God, out of all of its troubles. And so, Lord, as Liz prayed, we again pray for people in Israel and in Palestine that You would bring a supernatural peace that we can't even understand to that region, to those people. And Lord, now as we look to the psalm and how it affects us, Help us to understand it, to interpret it, and to apply it to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so if you're driving in a strange city and you get lost, which of the following would you do? A, would you look at a map or a GPS on your phone, maybe, or it's there in your car? B, stop and ask for help if you're lost. C, just keep driving and find your way. Okay, if it's Claire and I, and we've done some vacationing this summer, I would stop and look at a map. She would look at the GPS on her phone. I still like the paper maps. You know, she's very good with technology, more so than I. But I had a friend in seminary named Mark, a really good friend. And I went to seminary in California, Pasadena, which is kind of the greater Los Angeles area. And Mark would find the name of a place or maybe the address of a place, and this was before the days of GPS. You could get on your phone, your car, and he would just start driving to get there. And I asked him about that, and he goes, I kind of like the adventure. I like just trying to kind of find the place. I'll drive around till I find it. So, I think that was part of being, you know, in your early 20s when you think you can conquer the world and do everything. But, you know, today, we don't have to just drive around in our lives to find something, whether it's a a movie theater in Los Angeles or uh, somewhere, a direction we are going in life. We have lots of guidance that we can look to to find our way. In today's world, we're offered much in the way of guidance, and we're bombarded by uh, blogs, books, uh, talking heads on television, and even radio, talking heads or people on radio telling us what we should do. But David had a better way. Even though David was a flawed leader and a sinner, as we read in the Scripture, he continually asked God for forgiveness of sin. He was a believer in God. He was even described as a man after God's own heart. And in the psalm, he tells us to look somewhere else for our guidance, for hope, for truth, and for instruction. We can look to someone who is deeper than anything else the world gives. We can look to God, who is the giver of truth. Now, this psalm certainly has to do with instruction in teaching. It's several places mentioned in the psalm. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. But it's also embedded, and I think this is interesting, in the structure of the psalm itself. This psalm is actually an alphabetical acrostic in Hebrew. What does that mean? It means the first letter of the first word of each line in Hebrew begins with the ABCs of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this would be a device for kids to memorize the psalm and then be memorizing God's Word. Just as Josh said, he has a hard time Memorizing scripture in the video that we watch, but he can memorize lyrics of the song and they draw him closer to God. This was a device to help instruct kids in the memorization and the learning of God's word. So let's take a look at why and how we look to God for guidance, truth, and instruction. This is going to be in your bulletin here on the screen as well. So, first of all, who is God? And so many times in the Psalms, we see examples of people in their prayers to God. Who is God? They're telling us who God is. God is trustworthy. He is our Savior. He is merciful and loving. He is good and upright. In verse 2, we see that God is worthy of our trust. And then in verse 5, that He is the giver of salvation. We'll talk about that again in a few minutes. In verse 6, we see that God is merciful. He's full of mercy. It says He has steadfast love, that His love continues. So God is worthy of our attention and our praise because we can trust Him. His salvation, His mercy, His love. Verse 8 says, God is good and upright. You know, we oftentimes we hear God is good. It's in some of our basic prayers that we have. We hear God is good. What's that mean that God is good? God is good, but not limited to moral goodness, theologians say. Through Scripture, we see that God is good, that He keeps His promises, that God has integrity. Not only does He tell the truth, He is truth, that He's loving and gracious despite our sinfulness. So God is good in all those ways. And so as His followers, we should long to experience that goodness. In a world where oftentimes there's a lot of uh, gray and oftentimes there's a lot that is not good, we should long to experience and be related to the goodness that is God. That's part of our prayer even today. So, how do we, what do we do? So, we've, we've looked at who is God, specifically in Psalm 25. What do we do? What does uh, uh, David say about what do we do in the psalm? What do we do? We have enemies, we rebel and sin, and we need instruction. We have enemies. It mentions in verse 2 and 19, I learned this week, 72 of the 150 psalms, almost half of the 150 psalms speak of enemies in our lives. And so, the psalmist often Write about that, protection from enemies. Who are our enemies? Our enemies might be real people who oppose us. They might also be people, especially in the Psalms, who oppose God's way of living, who oppose God's ways. For some of us, and even for people in the Bible, enemies might be temptations like money or success or distractions that keep us from God or keep us from experiencing God's goodness. Sometimes those distractions can even be good things that keep us from great things. One I know that's in my family and in my life, even from since I've been a boy growing up, is uh, a distraction that's a good thing, but could keep me from the great things of God. My family is really into youth sports. Um, A lot of you guys know that. I'll see you at the park or wherever, and we love it. And I grew up learning a lot of great things from sports, teamwork and sportsmanship and how to compete in a healthy way, great things, but I know in my own heart, I have to be careful not to let that be a distraction from God, to not let my, my enjoy of youth sports and watching my kids now play sports slip into something like, I want my kids to always win championships, I want them to be the best player in the team. Even that dream of maybe getting a college scholarship, you know, which for some is a reality, but for a lot is not. But when I start thinking that way, what is good, youth sports, can be something which can be a distraction from something that's even better for me, which is my relationship with God. I need to keep it in the right context. So David says we have enemies, enemies of all kinds, and we need protection from our enemies. But he also says we rebel and sin. We have our own times where we walk away from God. We rebel and sin. In verse seven in the NIV, it says it this way, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Remember not the sins of my youth my rebellious ways. so i'm really good friends with my next door neighbors uh, our whole family is but if their car is parked in the street and if i run into their car because i'm being careless i need to do more than say i'm sorry i first need to say i'm sorry because i was at fault but then i need to pay for repairs or at least have my insurance pay for repairs but with god we can't pay enough to bridge the gap Between when we do wrong, when we are careless, or when we are rebellious, we can't do enough, we can't pay enough to make things right when we rebel and we sin. So there must be salvation. And this goes back to verse five, when David says, You are our salvation. So even from the Old Testament, we have the idea that God is our salvation. And then into the New Testament, which we all know, of how that salvation comes about. God pays for our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. And as believers in Him, we must accept that payment, place our faith in Jesus Christ to receive that payment so that we can live for Him. So we started out by saying, how do we get directions? You know, do we ask for directions? Do we look at a map? Do we just drive? Do we look at our GPS? But in life, we can get direction and instruction from God, and we certainly need instruction from God. So, sometimes as pastors, you might think, you know, we study the Bible um, in the ways that we deliver it on a Sunday morning, Psalm 25. I've looked at Psalm 25 in a lot of different angles, two or three different uh, uh, versions of the Bible this week. I looked at about five commentaries. But on a typical day, I might be like you. I might just read a chapter in the Bible or a psalm, and even sometimes I might go, that's nice. And then go ahead and close my Bible and go about my day so it's not really affecting me. But we can get instruction and direction from the Bible if we do more than just say, that's nice when we read our Bibles. So, how do we do that? Well, you don't have to be a theologian or go to seminary to get more direction and instruction from the Bible. Uh, When I was in college, I was active in a couple of different ministries, and here's one of the things I was taught which I've carried with me for most of my life from that time of college on, is a way to interpret uh, the Bible in a simple way, and it's through these three questions. When reading the Bible, we can ask, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? Now, this certainly isn't the only way to understand or interpret the Bible. There's lots of great ways, but this is one way I've learned, I've carried with me. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me? So let's look at that what does it say? What does the Scripture say? Who's the author? Well, David's the author of Psalm 25. What do we know about David's life? What is the author saying? Who are the other characters? What's he talking about? What's the setting? If you can learn the setting, sometimes we can from Scripture, sometimes we can't. If you have a certain kind of a study Bible, uh, and, and if you don't, I encourage you to get one. Oftentimes, by reading the introduction, you can learn about the setting. Where was this written? Who was it written to? Why was it written? And you can learn about the context And then what is happening in what you're reading? So that's just saying, what does it say? What does it mean? It goes beyond what it says to what is the meaning. So for Psalm 25, we see David talking about enemies. And we know if we do just a little bit of study and we read like in 1 Samuel or other places about David's life, he had a lot of enemies. And he prays for protection. So we know that's important. He's also very personal in the Psalm. He uses I a lot and he asks for a lot of things humbly. What is he asking for? Well, he uses a lot of personal language. He asks for forgiveness of his own sin, his rebellion. He asks for protection. And he asks God to guide him and protect him. So that's a little bit under the surface about what does it mean. He's asking for protection. He's asking for guidance. He says, show me your way, guide me in truth, instruct me. That's a theme that's repeated there in this passage. And then what does it mean for me? So that's good for David. But what can this mean for me? Well, if David prayed so personally… I think it's okay for me to pray that personally too. I think it's okay for me to say who God is in my life. God is good and upright and holy and loving and merciful. And then to pray, um, God, I, I also need protection. And God, I also need guidance. I need your instruction. God, teach me. And then look to the Bible for instruction. Look other places for his guidance. Look to his Holy Spirit for guidance in your life. So what other ways can we pray like David, and what do we ask God? Let's look real specifically at at that. What do we ask God? These four things at least. David says in verse 6, remember your love for me. And then in verse 7, right after that, remember not my rebellion. Right up before that, he said in verse 4 and verse 5, show me your ways in verse 4. Guide me in truth. Those are some of the words that Josh sang in that video, verse 4 and 5. Back to the remember. Verse 6 says to be mindful. And another translation says, God, remember your love for me. Remember your love for me. And don't remember my rebellious ways. So if we say, okay, that's what it says, what does it mean? Well, let's make it a little personal. It might sound more like this if we were saying this to God in our own language instead of using the kind of language that David used. God, remember how you told me um, a lot of times in your Bible that you're merciful and loving? Well, I want you to remember that because I need it. I've rebelled. I've been a sinner. I've got enemies. I need your protection. Please remember your love for me now. I think it's said with that kind of passion, with that kind of emotion from David. And then he might say, Lord, you know how I rebelled? You know how I've gone against your ways? You know how I've I've gotten off the track this week? Can you forgive me? And can you not remember those things I've done? Can you forgive me of my sinful ways? God says also in the Psalms, it's actually in the 103rd Psalms, He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. I think that's worth saying again. God removes our sins when we ask, when we confess, as far as the east is from the west. And we know as Christians that happens as we accept Jesus' forgiveness from where He has died on the cross so God can forgive us of our sins. We accept it and we receive it humbly in faith. In the video and in the lyrics of uh, the song from Third Day, and this is really in that first part of uh, Psalm 25, it says this, the lyrics that Josh sang earlier in the video. My hope is you, show me your ways. Guide me in truth. In all my days, my hope is you. And you you could see some of the passion, I think, that Josh sang that with in the video, that he believes it. When you read David's words, he believes it. He's praying with reality. He's praying. He's not just giving a rote prayer. He's praying that he believes that. God, my hope is you. Guide me in truth. Show me your ways. Well, over the last year or two, I've had at least three people recommend a book to me and people that I respected. So I thought, maybe God is wanting me to read this book because I I think at least these people are wanting me to read this book and I respect them. And the book's called The Hole in Our Gospel. And it's been a popular Christian book. You may have read it or maybe not. So I've been reading it. And in the book, author Rich Stearns tells the story how God literally called him away from a great job that he had where he was CEO of Linux China to become president of World Vision, one of the largest Christian relief agencies in the world. Now, before he went to World Vision in the story, Rich says that there were two people who were telling him They felt God was calling him to accept this job, even before he even had had looked at it at all, to accept this job as president of World Vision. So finally, after a long process, he agreed to be interviewed, and then he was offered the position of president of World Vision. Now, he didn't want to accept it because he knew it would be about one-fourth of the salary he was getting as CEO of Linux China. He would have to move his family across the country out of their dream home that they hadn't lived in very long, And he would have to deal with things which would be very difficult. He would be dealing as the president of World Vision with the poorest of the poor all around the world. And he felt caught. He thought probably God was calling him to do this, but he didn't want to do it. So as David did, Rich Stearns continually again and again prayed for guidance. God, show me. Is this what you really want me to do? God, show me. Tell me. Give me lots of reasons. Give me the reasons. Convince me, God. He even asked his children to pray for him and the board of directors at World Vision after they made the offer to pray for guidance as well. Well, after being offered the job, he had made plans to fly to Seattle where their headquarters were to check out World Vision, and that very morning on a Friday before he was to fly out on Friday afternoon, he had a meeting at the Linux China uh, headquarters near the East Coast with a man named Keith from London who was a major investor. And Keith told Rich that he was getting ready to merge two companies in England to make it the largest tableware company in the world. And on the spot, he asked Rich to become CEO and become his partner. The partner would be for 10% ownership of this new huge company, a stake worth $25 to $50 million for Rich and for his family. Now, Rich in that moment said that he quickly remembered, he saw God at work in all of this, He quickly remembered that his wife Renee had told him earlier that she believed at the moment of decision whether or not to go to World Vision, a great temptation, a financial one, would come and tempt Rich not to go to World Vision. It was happening right then. He remembered her words. So Rich, still sitting there with Keith in his office, shared how he couldn't accept this offer because that very day he was getting ready to get on a plane and fly to um, check out a large charity, and he didn't name it but a large charity that was offering him to become president of their company. Well, Keith was taken aback by Rich's response because he thought he would accept it because it was such an incredible um, offer. But then something amazing happened. Keith shared that many years ago, his 10-year-old daughter, whom he and his wife had adopted from India, had died and how badly he had grieved. But then he found an appeal through World Vision to sponsor a child. And he shared how he sponsored a 10-year-old girl from India from the same region as his daughter, and it helped him to let go of his grief and changed his life. So Keith said, so I see, Rich, how a big charity would benefit from someone like you, but selfishly, I hope you decide to work for me. Rich was shocked. And then he shared that the charity he was meeting with later that day was actually World Vision that his friend Keith didn't know but had sponsored a child through. Neither Keith nor Rich felt that this was a coincidence at all. And so Rich felt God was saying through World Vision he could reach the poorest of the poor and also the richest of the rich, like his friend Keith. So Rich Stearns accepted the call from World Vision to be president, and he's been leading them to help poor children all over the world for many years now in the name of Jesus Christ. So as Rich did we can pray. We can pray with passion, you know, with humility. We can pray for forgiveness of our sin when we go, go uh, awry. We can also pray for guidance, and we can do that again and again. And if we think we're getting the right signals from God of a way to go in our lives, we can ask for God for confirmation, as Rich did, and it happened in his life. Now, most of us won't be praying to whether to be president of a large uh, multinational um, charity, but this week you can even pray for what God has in your life. What situation would it be in your life that God is calling you to pray about even this week? Well, our God is a personal God who hears our prayers. And David knew this as we see in uh, Psalm 25. And we see that Jesus' disciples knew that Jesus was a personal um, Savior, that they had that personal relationship with him. He was so personal that even he would share this meal with them on the last night that he had with them and that the next day that he would give his life for them. And we too have that personal relationship with Jesus, with God, the giver of salvation, when we accept him as Savior and Lord and when we call on his name. And he will answer our prayers. He will show himself to us in the way that he did to Rich Stearns.